This is Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with the power of public pro proclamation, open-air preaching. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Over the last few days, the world has witnessed the somber sight of the British people mourning the death of their longest reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. This stark confrontation with death reminds us that there are two types of death, physical death and spiritual death. What are your thoughts on recent events in Britain, Dr. Hammond? Well, first and foremost, isn't it interesting how, uh, according to the British monarchy of great tradition over many centuries, they go out and in a public sphere in different cities and towns have trumpets playing and then a designated um, person announces the death of the queen and the accession to the throne of the new king. And... Uh, Trumpets and public announcements uh, loudly displayed uh, solemnly in a public sphere is something that goes back many centuries and millenniums. And uh, this is something of great importance. Uh, a queen who's reigned for 70 years, that's my whole life and most of the life of even the very old people uh, that are on this earth. And uh, there's nobody alive today who could not say that Queen Elizabeth reigned longer than uh, most of, of their life. So uh, it's something that is an end of an era, and it's very significant. And there's many people who have, have great emotion about this, even if they haven't met her. But how much more important is it to go into public spheres and announce, Christ Jesus our Lord has died for our sins, and he's risen from the dead. I mean, this is an important message that people need to hear. People need to understand this. And, and even of far greater importance than the death of the queen and the accession to the throne of England of a new king uh, is the news of what, the good news of what Christ has done for us and that he is risen victorious over death, hell and grave. Has open air preaching or public proclamation of the gospel died out, particularly in South Africa? What about other parts of Africa that you're familiar with, Dr. Hammond? Well, it, it hasn't died out, although it's become less common. Uh, we've got some very uh, energetic public uh, preachers, and, and I've had the opportunity over the last 40-odd uh, years of preaching in the open air in Swaziland and Mozambique and Zimbabwe and Zambia, in Sudan, uh, even in Australia and uh, in Britain and in Germany. Uh, for example, in the Reformation 500, uh, 2017 in Wittenberg, to proclaim the gospel in the open square in front of the monument to Martin Luther, which is a, a great privilege and joy. And uh, in the last few years, in South Africa with our lockdown lunacy and the masquerade madness, I was able to do quite a number of open-air preaching. Um, and I've had the opportunity of being invited to, to speak at different events, such as protests against masks, protests against mandatory vaccinations and so on, and, and to speak on those issues. And of course, the Bible speaks to all issues of life and then to use that as a launching pad to challenge people over what's really important and authority, where authority comes from, and dealing with biblical issues and calling people uh, to consider death and what comes after death. It's a point on a man wants to die and after the judgment. So I've had the opportunity of speaking in public um, uh, platforms uh, on many issues, whether it is outside parliament over protest over the legalization of abortion or whether it is to protest about canned lion hunting or the clubbing of seals or the uh, killing of dolphins uh, and uh, by, for example, Japan and protesting against why should uh, Japan be getting the Olympic 
um, nomination when they're doing something as barbaric as serving up dolphins as food in a, in a restaurant. And uh, so in many different ways, I've been invited to a range of different issues where I'm able to give a Christian witness and even be asked to pray, um, sometimes in environments where you wouldn't have expected a Christian witness because sometimes we're using these issues as an opportunity to make a Christian witness and make a stand. So open-air preaching uh, is definitely appropriate because we still have open-air protests. And if you're going to the open-air protest, for example, uh, they expect speeches in the open-air protest, whether it is against mandatory vaccinations or uh, mandatory mask wearing or uh, mandatory lockdowns or anything like this. These are things that people have gathered by the hundreds of thousands all over the world to protest. And now in Netherlands to close down people's farms and tell farmers you've got to euthanize your cattle and you've got to close down your farm. And quite rightly, people have gathered publicly and protested. Well, Christians should be part of that and be injecting a unique biblical insight and giving a spiritual dimension to matters which otherwise it could be a matter of well, the government said it, so you've got to do it. Well, but we're able to point out that all authority is limited authority. All authority is delegated authority. All authority is under God. We render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And uh, this gives a tremendous amount of perspective. And I think there's a lot of people who appreciate it. So if open-air preaching has become a bit of a dying art, it's time to revive it. Three questions relating to the fact that we live in an era of political correctness, Orwellian newspeak and safe spaces, an area, an era in which people, to quote Francis Schaeffer, are properly sick of God words, mm. an era in which people are encouraged to take offense at anything that discomforts them mentally and emotionally. So the first question related to that, um, in such a context, is it practical or even desirable to stand in a public space and evangelize preaching the gospel, but more particularly God's law, a message that can be offensive to modern sensibilities? Would it not alienate people further from Christianity? Well, again, it depends how it's done because you could alienate people with a false message. And when I've gone onto the streets and started to share to people about the gospel, I've had people saying, I'm not interested. I tried it. It doesn't work. Uh, what did you try? What didn't work? And then you get people saying, well, I didn't win the lottery or I didn't uh, get that promotion and things like this. Excuse me, of what gospel are you referring to? Uh, plainly, they had been deceived into thinking some name it, claim it, and frame it prosperity cult, gab it and grab it, is the gospel. And you've got to point out that that is not the good news. That's not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ at all. And so um, I am not surprised that some people are alienated by some scam, some uh, money-grabbing uh, message that seems to be uh, a, a modern version of the prosperity cult. So, no, um, I'm sure some people are alienated, but they'd be alienated from things that are hypocritical, uh, false, um, and deceptive, and uh, manipulative even. But I think something true and honest and straightforward, uh, such as, is there life after death? Uh, does God exist? How can a loving God uh, allow sin and suffering in this world? Uh, why does a loving God not uh, judge wickedness right now? Uh, how can I know that the Bible is the word of God? Uh, how can I know that Jesus is the son of God? Uh, how can I know if there's life after death? And uh, what evidence is there that Jesus rose from dead? There, there are many messages and concerns that people are trying to understand. You know, How can I find meaning in, in suffering? Does God really care? Does God love us? And... Uh, uh, these are, are real questions, and many people would be delighted to hear some sane, rational, biblical explanation or uh, listening to their concerns and trying to answer it from, from a, a biblical perspective. 
So no, I, I don't think that a modern audience is is necessarily going to be closed to the gospel. They're doubtless close to a lot of aberrations, but the modern audience is precisely the audience that needs to hear the gospel because there's only one way of salvation. That's through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to Father except by him. But the only way that most will hear the message is if the message is taken out into the streets where they are because they will never set foot in a Christian church of their own choice. I was raised in a secular home. I would never have entered a church. That's why I saved in the cinema, because um, I would no more have walked into a church building on my own than I would have gone to a private club of which I wasn't a member. And um, people in church need to understand that secular people <coughs> need to be reached where they are comfortable. Um, on the other <coughs> hand, is public preaching and evangelism particularly effective now that it has become a rare and unusual experience in a world where so much human interaction is mediated electronically through computers and smartphones? Perhaps public in the flesh evangelism has a more profound impact. Yes, certainly. What we are seeing today is some really effective evangelists such as Ray Comfort of Where the Master, Adrian Clark, our good friend in England, others are finding that People are interested, and uh, the very fact that you are getting on the streets, and if you've got a winsome personality and, a, and an interesting way of communicating some interesting anecdotes, I do believe that we can attract interest. Um, obviously, not everyone's got time. Some people are rushing. They've got an appointment. They don't have time. But there's always people hanging around in some public areas who would be open uh, if it's an interesting encounter. And, uh, for example, there's some very creative ways of doing this. We've got a number of evangelists who use the commuting railways in the morning in the Cape Flats to preach on different railway carriages. In fact, the people who are choosing the railway carriage on the basis of who the preacher is, and there's some chaps on the Cape Flats who are doing either sermon series or they're going through Bible studies. And so they're, they're folks quite happily in, in morning traffic uh, are choosing, you know, I want to be in this railway carriage or that because their favorite preachers there. And so uh, interesting. And, of course, those who don't want it can choose the railway carriages where they don't have a, a preacher. So there's some pretty innovative ways of using the commuting time, even on railways, uh, for preaching. And I don't know if this would be legal in uh, Europe, but it's very common in South Africa. What does an open-air preacher need to consider in terms of what he can and can't say in this day and age? Can he speak unhindered and anywhere, or can he only speak in specially designated places? Does he need a license or permit? What are the practical and legal ins and outs regarding freedom of speech and so on, particularly in South Africa? Well, goodness me, this is a, 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 it's a bit of a complex issue because in one sense, we should have the freedom to proclaim the gospel anyway because Magna Carta guarantees freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and so does the South African Bill of Rights, and most countries will guarantee freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom uh, of uh, communication, and so on. Uh, but having said that, um, you've got some place where, no, you can't say this and you can't say that, and even our friend Adrian Clark was part of a group arrested in Bristol uh, for offending some people by tackling some common social sins, which are broadcast on the media. And uh, they were just saying what the Bible says about it and in a very pleasant way. They weren't being obnoxious or anything like that. Uh, and interesting, you can say anything at Hyde Park, and people can even make blasphemous antichrist statements, and nobody seems to think there's a problem there. But if you offend some of these characters today who snowflakes, you can find yourself in trouble. And I'm afraid some policemen have allowed themselves to be used for this. In this case that we're referring to in Bristol, 
the judge threw the case out and basically apologised to the evangelists who'd been harassed and uh, they were free to go and to continue to do their preaching. So uh, you do need to be aware that while you may have the moral right, you've certainly got the biblical Great Commission, and while you may have the legal right uh, to do this, there may be some places where the local police force or municipality are going to harass you. And in these communities, you've got to understand that in some communities, uh, for example, let's say it's a Muslim community, and you stand up and you say something that could be construed as being offensive to Muhammad uh, or to the religion of Islam or even Allah, uh, you can expect to be shut down and people to to be uh, uh, unhappy. So uh, plainly, you've got to be careful what you say. In some communities, if you say something that could be construed as reflecting badly on the LGBTQ community, you could get yourself not just into trouble with the community, but with the law. And in some countries, uh, they may actually drag you to court, but you will probably get off when they look at the facts. But basically speaking, one needs to consider, am I keeping the main thing the main thing? Yes, I could say some things to offend people. And I must say that there is a place sometimes to offend your audience. And uh, uh, just to give an example, when I was doing my national service in South African Army, we had every single week um, chaplain's periods. And one particular chaplain's period, I think we'd just been out on long marches and we had been dumped who knows how far away in covered bedfords and now we had to find a way back to the base and map work and compass and so on. And a whole lot of us got back in time for uh, the chaplain service in the afternoon. But there was only about a third of the unit there um, of, the, of the company. The rest were still presumably lost or finding away. The chaplain came and he, he looked with disgust at, I mean, there was still quite a lot of us actually, I thought. But he said, oh, I'm not going to speak just a few people and turned around and he walked away. Well, nobody else after this exhausting route march felt like going back to normal training, which was all done at the double and running. So they start shouting, Hammond, give us a sermon. Because um, I was known as the soul tiffy or the, the soul mechanic, uh, the religious fanatic. So um, I realized you're not going to get this opportunity often. You know, here, there they are, um, feet up and heads back and some of them getting ready to sleep and so on. And uh, this is a chaplain service. They don't want to now go back to training. So, so Hammond, give us sermons. So I stood up and I started insulting them. I said, I know, because I had to keep their attention because I knew I was speaking before a hostile audience. I was a troop in training like them, no rank, also no hair. And, you know, so I stood up and I said, I know you've got words for us. Christians, well, we've got words for you. You're infidels, you're unbelievers, you're pagans, you're heathen, and ah, you're a drop of water on the wave, you're like a bit of chaff in the wind, and you're up here, down there, and so on. And so I'm, I'm just throwing all kinds of insults. You know, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You, you rant and rave about Christians being hypocrites, but what do you do? You, you're lying to your girlfriends, you're two-timing them, you're double-dealing, you're sending out several Valentine's cards. And So I'm just I'm just whacking these guys one after the other. Ah, the guys are shouting. And so, so I basically just kept insulting them. I was throwing all kinds of insulting verses, but everyone was awake. They were all paying attention. And it was like open-air preaching uh, in that this was not scheduled. They were not polite. Uh, they were in a raucous uh, environment. And because there was no officers or NCOs around, they were likely to uh, be extremely insulting. Uh, so I just took the offensive and I, I insulted them. But in that environment, it was taken quite well. And uh, many of the guys were, you know, gee, that's the best chapel service I've ever heard. And you know, it really got me thinking. And even though I'd done nothing but insult them. And... Uh, well, 
there is a place sometimes to insult people to get their attention. And I've seen some open-air preachers do this, you know, challenging on university campuses. You know, you're whoremongering, fornicating, drunkards, drug addicts, cokeheads, and they're just throwing insults at them, and they're getting some reaction. But they've got an audience, and people are gathering, and they're able to get the people thinking about something seriously. Now, not everyone can do that, and some people are far too polite to want to ever insult someone like this. But um, if you've got the ability to carry it off, sometimes throwing out those kinds of challenges might really get people's attention and get them to stop and think for a while. And, and you can certainly see that in the preaching of Elijah, Jeremiah, and John the Baptist, you know, where he's throwing out all these very insulting terms, even the Lord Jesus in Matthew 23 you whitewashed tombs, you you twice as worthy of, of hell. You take your converts, make them even more worthy of hell than you are. Uh, you people are brood of serpents you uh, and hypocrites. Uh, and the Lord throws his insults at the scribes and Pharisees. And that sermon, Matthew 23, is a hard sermon to, to read through. Uh, so there is a place sometimes for even uh, being um, directly confrontational. But we do need to self-censor in the sense that occasionally recognizing, is it wise to bring this up? Is this going to get their attention, make them more able to receive the gospel or not? And uh, so there may be a place also bearing in mind that in some places, the moment you mention something like homosexuality, gay agenda, LGBTQ, they will move on you. So, you know, uh, is it worth it? Um, or Because if you avoided that issue and tackled things, um, more quoting scripture and so on, you might actually have a chance to speak for longer there. So one needs to weigh these things together. Um, yeah, it was interesting that you mentioned Adrian Clark being arrested. Even Spurgeon um, in a different era, uh, when he was commenting on open-air preaching, he stated that it actually can be beneficial for the preacher to be arrested as it attracts attention to his ministry. Yes, indeed. No, there's there's no doubt about it. That um, uh, we've even heard from Ray Comfort and Todd Friel from Where the Master that uh, they say that hecklers are their best friends, and uh, sometimes they have thought it would be good to even pay someone to be a heckler because uh, the hecklers add to the crowds and the hostility increases the attention. So your biggest enemy is actually apathy. So opposition is not that bad. Bear in mind that it was a Saul of Tarsus who ended up being the Apostle Paul. Must an aspiring open-air preacher worry about being a talented speaker or just trust in the Lord to provide the boldness, inspiration, and eloquence that's required? Yes. I mean, that that is a point. Um, we, It's good to be a capable speaker, but I think some of the most gifted speakers don't go and do open-air preaching. Many of them are getting so many invitations. And, uh, so, sadly... Um, uh, I think many of the talented speakers shun the idea of open-air preaching, which is sad. But we it's, it's a greater challenge because where's the challenge speaking to a polite, prepared audience in a respectful environment like the church? You know, almost anyone could do that, you could think. Um, but it takes a very strong-willed character to be able to speak up in a hostile environment, in a place where the people are being rude, where they are throwing insults, where there are all kinds of, of uh, challenges. You just think of George Whitfield, and he's preaching there with people pelting him with eggs and stones and dead animals and throwing insults and blowing the trumpet and harassing. And what John Wesley and George Whitfield went through in open-air preaching is just extraordinary, horrendous. But 
it takes an intelligent and resourceful person to be able to persevere and to flourish in that situation. So, yes, I would say uh, you don't need uh, talents necessarily. Um, you don't have to be a great speaker. You've got to know the Word of God and you've got to be able to communicate it uh, in an interesting way and with good illustration. So just think of the key principle. God's servant is God's responsibility. Where God guides, he provides. When Moses made the excuse in uh, the book of Exodus, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, but I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. The Lord rebuked him, saying, who has made man's mouth? Have I not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with you. I'll be with your mouth to teach you what you are to say. And so, uh, plainly, yes, um, let's not be overly humble because sometimes a God is angry with our attempts to wheedle out our, or weasel our way out of his call, his command. Preaching is a performance art, one could say, which means there has to be a mastery of rhetorical flourishes, voice projection, voice modulation. Do you have any comments or advice on this, Dr. Hammond? What is the right tone to take when addressing the public in the open air? Yes, this is very different from radio. This is very different from most ministry. It's certainly different from the average preaching or teaching that you do in, in a local church because you've got to get people's attention. It's, there's traffic noises. There's the moving crowds. And so, you know, whether you're at a railway station or in the open air or in a marketplace, and I've, I've done all of these things, uh, you've got to really speak loudly and you've got to get people's attention. You cannot be monotone. You've got to have voice uh, inflections and modulation and projection and you've got to be able to you know uh, shout out uh, quite clearly uh, you sir are you right with God if you were to die today do you know for sure whether you'd go to heaven or not I mean it, it's got to, God now commands all men everywhere to repent and there's got to be a real commanding attention just like you can see the the town criers who are going into whether it's in, in Edinburgh or in London and and after trumpets blowed, giving the announcement that Queen Elizabeth II has died. And now a new king has ascended to the throne. And they're they making an announcement. It's, it's demanding attention. Everyone must pay attention. This is an important proclamation. And so how much more important our proclamation that God is a holy God. Mankind is sinners. No one is good except God alone. You call yourself good, but Jesus said no one is good except God alone. And... It's a point that a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. God is holy. You are not. You are sinful. You're a wretched sinner. You're deserving of an eternity in hell. You will stand before God one day. What will you say? If God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What answer could you give? And we must speak to people directly, and we've got to proclaim the law of God, because the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We've got to communicate the standards. We've got to put the people before people clearly the picture of heaven and hell and the cross and this requires one to communicate with with force and with um, intensity because you cannot keep people's attention in the middle of the roar of traffic and of people passing by all over the place uh, without some very commanding presence and uh, this requires a person speaking quite boldly and if you are able to use some PA system good many places would forbid it and then you just have your own unaided voice, and um, that's got to be arresting in a sense. Yeah, that leads me into the next question. What tools or props are required for open-air preaching, if any? Is it a case of less is more? <coughs> I would say you don't need much. It's good to have a Bible on hand. 
that you are using that people can see. It's not just some crazy person talking here, but he's got some authority, something he's reading from, something he's quoting from. And even if you know all the verses by heart, which is ideal, you don't have much time to find the place and read it uh, in open air preaching. You've got people walking past and you might have their attention only for a few seconds. So you've got to continually be engaging with the people passing by. And uh, a, a Bible in hand is good. Some kind of Plymouth or footstool. Uh, some people have some kind of step ladder they're standing on or um, a, a box, literally a box that they're standing on. Um, th that can help because just to be a little bit more elevated that if there's a bit of a crowd that they can see you over the heads and shoulders of people in front of you um, and especially a person who's slightly smaller than others would need that. Some kind of amplifier, there are amplifiers that you can actually wear on you which gives an adequate I've preached with an amplifier which you just tuck into your belt and it's it's quite amazing. It can project for quite a decent distance. And um, uh, a body cam is, is very helpful these days. And the reason for that is if you get arrested and they say something like, well, you know, you were unnecessarily insulting people or you assaulted this person or whatever. And if you've got a body cam, well, they've got video proof that it didn't happen as they are saying. And um, uh, that's why a lot of policemen carry body cams now that you can see who said what and where and uh, um, what, what is the fact, and that's often resolved the problem. In fact, the very group uh, of evangelist open-air preachers who got arrested in Bristol were released on viewing the body cam footage because it was quite clear. They were the ones cool, calm, and collected and objective and factual, and it was the ones making the objection who were really disturbing the peace and were being obnoxious and intolerant and so on. So all of that, um, uh, it's one thing for you to say it. It's nothing if either you've got a body cam or someone is filming you, such as with Way of the Master. Because in this age, uh, it's, it can be he said that you said and your word against his, but if you've got a video recording of it, it can settle the argument. Uh, should the open-air preacher be accompanied by a friend or a group of friends? That's certainly ideal. Yes, you, you don't want to actually go out there and be on your own um, in that you could easily be... Um, you could much more easily be assaulted, intimidated, and so on if, if there's not others around. So if you're on your own, well, uh, I've done quite a lot of open-air preaching on my own, and um, that takes more courage, and uh, it means you're more vulnerable. But when there's more people around, uh, it also helps uh, by giving uh, a sense of legitimacy, uh, respectability, uh, that it's not just one person on their own. So while we can see in the Bible there are the Elijahs and the Jeremiahs and John the Baptist who preach entirely on their own, and they were very brave people. But I think we will all find it a lot easier if we've got some people helping us. So, for example, one of the really gifted open-air preachers that we've supported a lot in Cape Town is Small Paul, called Small Paul because he's very tall, actually, uh, extremely tall American chalk talk evangelist. He will go up and he'll set up his easel, and start uh, drawing people to Christ, literally, with his chalk talks. He, he's using art uh, and preaching together to catch people's attention, to communicate the gospel. And we will do this in Musenberg beachfront, open air, uh, in some shopping malls, on some pedestrian malls. And um, Small Paul's very gifted as a preacher, and he commands a good attention because he's very tall, and he's got a very a loud voice that can project, and the sons are very good too. And so, um, but to help him, we always try to have several of us around there to help by distributing literature. And we help gather the crowd at first by a few of us standing there and, and paying attention to speakers. So others gather when there's small crowds there, more will gather. Then we can start moving around and distributing literature to people. And, and 
uh, when he finishes his speaking, we can also start engaging people in conversations and doing counseling uh, of those who obviously have been um, affected by the message before he starts up the next one. So, uh, which normally is after he's cleaned his uh, board and um, he's now uh, getting ready for another chalk talk. So, I think if you can have even just one or two other people, it's a help. Because uh, while one person's preaching, other people can be either just doing literature to the people who are rushing past or uh, having discussions with those who've, who've got some questions. Um, is an open-air preacher invariably also a pastor or a minister, some kind of clergyman? That is to say, someone who delivers normal indoor sermons? Another way of stating this question is, does one need to be a clergyman to do open-air preaching? No, you don't need to be a clergyman to do open-air preaching. And in fact, I would say most open-air preachers probably are not clergymen um, because most of those who are busy in a uh, church are are too busy to to see themselves also going out and dealing with people who are not going to be polite and aren't going to be as receptive as the people they're used to preaching to. And that's actually how many great preachers got involved, because it was because John Wesley was being excluded from preaching in the Church of England that he started to go and preach outdoors, and same with uh, George Whitfield, who actually preceded him, that <clears throat> it was the closing of doors of churches that led many of these men to go into the opening. And uh, you can think of our Lord Jesus. He was not being received in the synagogues and he wasn't being welcomed into the temple. So he was going out into the open air, uh, reaching the people, Sermon on the Mount and so on, or preaching by the uh, lakeside. So <clears throat> it's, it's plainly a biblical and historical um, experience that the church was built up through open air preaching. Our Lord did it and so did the apostles, all 12 of them. And through church history, we've seen some of the greatest revivals ever, uh, such as the Great Evangelical Awakening, took place from a lot of open-air preachers. So, no, you don't need to be a clergyman, but you do need to know your Bible well enough that you can deliver your message without notes. Because, to be honest, open-air preaching, um, I know there's a place for notes, and we like using notes in many places, like lectures, but open-air preaching, you've got to know those scriptures off by heart. You've got to be able to be speaking each each phrase must go out like gunshots, like machine guns, like grenades. You've just got to be uh, involved in it. It's like spiritual warfare. And there's no time for you to be consulting your notes in the average uh, open-air preaching. You've got to be so engaging with the people that and you've got a rough idea of what you want to say. You've got to know a whole lot of scriptures off by heart. Uh, but to be able to stand up there, and it's not like you've got time for a 45-minute message. Uh, you might only have a few minutes for some people. Some people have got a few seconds, but you can communicate a whole verse sometimes in the time it takes for a person to walk across uh, within and outside of your uh, range. And maybe you can get their attention with that and they'll stay and they'll hear more. So it's like every word counts, every sentence counts. And so opening preaching is, is it's very, it's a adrenaline rush situation. You're trying to reach the people with the open air proclamation of the gospel and uh, hopefully some of your friends nearby are also distributing literature that are sowing seed in people who might have been interested to stop, but they couldn't because they were rushing for a commitment or engagement. Um, but nevertheless, um, open-air preaching will reach some people that we'd never reach any other way. Uh, you've already um, alluded to the, the differences, but I'm just going to labor the point. How does open-air preaching differ from a delivering a standard sermon? Right, so in a, <clears throat> a standard sermon, you've got uh, people coming with the intention of hearing the sermon. They might be members of the church. They could be regular adherents. 
Uh, but they're coming to church. They're coming into a religious venue, um, uh, even if it's uh, just a hired venue for the time or, or an established building. And they're coming to listen to the entire sermon. They they probably sit down and they might even take notes and they might have brought their own Bible and they, they participate in a question-answer session, maybe if it's especially Sunday school or the kind of church that has a question time. And <clears throat> you, you are preaching or speaking uh, in a standard sermon to people who want to hear it and who are polite and to let you speak. Whereas open air, <laughs> you're going to encounter people who are on their way to business or maybe they uh, they live on the streets or they, they don't necessarily hear sermons normally and they, don't, they didn't come there to hear the sermon that day. And they didn't hear the beginning and they won't necessarily stay to hear the rest of it. So all you can do is communicate them sometimes a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph at most while some people are going along, but you're wanting something to stick in their mind. So it's got to be, everything you say has got to be important, it's got to be relevant, it's got to be captivating and gripping uh, to be able to get their attention. And uh, I must say, in uh, in open-air preaching, uh, it's such a challenge. You can see the people walking past and you, you, do you have peace with God? The wage of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? Do you have peace with God? When you die, do you know if you're going to go to heaven or to hell? Where will you spend eternity? And so every phrase is, is a complete thought, and it's meant to get the people's attention. Hopefully they'll stop and you'll get some people's attention, and some will stand there, and they will listen to more of what you've got to say. But you've got to keep them there by sheer force of personality and, and communication, and it's a challenge. So, yes, uh, you can imagine the average pastor is used to speaking to a prepared, polite audience in a calm environment. And whereas an open-air preacher or missionary or an evangelist is often dealing with people who are not prepared, not polite, not open, uh, but they're needy. I mean, just think, you could be talking to people on the way to commit suicide. You can be talking to people who are depressed, who've had breakups, who've lost their job, people who are absolutely miserable, who've on the way to go and overdose on drugs or whatever. And in the street, you've got people coming from all sorts of situations, hurting, broken people, angry people, people who are just coming from a crime or on the way to commit a crime. There's no end. And you're standing there, and God can use you if you are receptive to communicate something that could just change somebody's direction of their life. And uh, yes, you know you're not going to effectively communicate a whole sermon to so many people in this environment. Uh, but, you know, if you just reach one person that day, that's that makes it all worthwhile, does it not? And uh, uh, there were, for example, some of the great open-air preachers like George Whitfield. There was this one day where he, he, he took the field during a public holiday, and he preached all day. And uh, at the end of the day, he had had several hundred notices handed to him, written on papers of people uh, committing their life to the Lord, and the local church added a huge number to the local church who literally added members from that one day. Now, now he's the greatest opening preacher in history, George Whitfield. You know, most of us would be thrilled to have one response in a day, but George Whitfield could get multiple in a day. What tips, Dr. Hammond, can you give preachers about their appearance and body language? Appearance is important. Um, you don't get a second chance on a first impression. And uh, your audience will always form an opinion about you before you've even said a word. So how you dressed, how you groom yourself, how you appear is all going to communicate. I mean, being clean shaven, being neat, being you mustn't look like some hobo. And I'm afraid some people... Uh, who go into open air preaching might look like they're a street person. That's that's not exactly ideal. If you're trying to reach 
uh, the normal businessman walking past, for example. So um, being clean cut, being neat, being um, well groomed, uh, being well dressed, I think is important. My style is to be well dressed for open air. And uh, so when I'm going to a public meeting, I'm definitely uh, open air preaching. I'd have and make sure at least I'm wearing, um, you know, clean shirt, button up shirt and so on. I wouldn't personally go out doing street preaching um, dressed in a casual gear that I might use for uh, PT. Um, some street preachers I see look like that. Some look like they actually on the way to the beach. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. I think that being well-dressed is important, that people can see this person is, uh, you know, an educated or personal or rational personal or someone who's obviously knows how to work properly. He's not uh, looking like a slob. Um, which also means don't slouch. Uh, watch your posture. Stand upright. You're representing the king of kings. Don't fidget. Don't jangle your keys in your pocket or fiddle with some necklace or uh, whatever. <laughs> I've seen people literally scratching their heads, uh, scratching armpits while speaking. That distracts people. Uh, and it, it, it doesn't communicate well. Your your appearance should not undermine your message. The message is paramount. So that also would mean we wouldn't be putting our hands in our pockets or crossing our arms or folding our arms across our body. That That is negative body language. Again, if you just look at how people are proclaiming uh, the the death of the queen and who are uh, standing by the side of the road or uh, by the side of the church as her coffin comes past, they're showing respect because who they're representing. This is the queen. Well, how much more so if we're representing the king of kings and lord of lords? We should be uh, sure that our appearance and our body language and our dress and our grooming is not undermining our message, but rather enhancing the seriousness, the importance of it. Uh, so I certainly would believe it's good to be well-dressed. Now, just taking, for example, Adrian Clark, he always dresses not just tie and jacket, uh, but he's even got a vest coat. Um, uh, he's he's dressed uh, very smartly. And I know people who they have a bow tie on and so on, but whatever their style is, the important thing is people must see that you are... Um, well-groomed, well-dressed, and that your body language enforces the message, doesn't undermine it. When open-air preaching, can one single out or chastise individuals, or should one rather direct the attack at the issue being addressed, for example, sin or disobedience of God's laws or idolatry or whatever the main theme of the talk is about? Mm. Well, um, <laughs> uh, John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland, said you cannot antagonize an influence at the same time. Well, this suggests that if you too aggressive or self-righteous or have a hectoring style of preaching, it will antagonize the public. So we shouldn't be perceived as obnoxious and often a delicate touch is called for. But even having said that, I have experienced times and I've witnessed times and I've, I've even done it myself where it's necessary to respond to someone who's being antagonistic, somebody who's maybe blaspheming or challenging or, or being derogatory, trying to undermine the gospel. And sometimes you can, you can address the word, obviously, you know, graciously with a smile, perhaps with, with a gracious way, but, but pointing out uh, what the Bible says about that particular attitude or sin uh, or, um, you know, you will have to answer to God for that and uh, to communicate in a gracious way there's nothing wrong with communicating straight. And uh, there are people who sometimes uh, openly boasted, you know, I that they uh, hate God or they reject God or they whatever. Um, and, you know, uh, I had an abortion and I'm proud of it or whatever they, they may be uh, shouting out. And um, sometimes you can uh, single them out because they've already singled themselves out now. 
And it's not you being obnoxious. It's just you responding to someone who's being obnoxious. And, uh, well, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life. Wouldn't you rather accept the free gift of eternal life from the Lord Jesus than collect the wages that what a man sows, that shall he reap? And so sometimes you can uh, tackle an individual, but generally speaking, we should be like uh, when you play football. You're meant to kick the ball, not the player. And so uh, let's be objective. Does one prepare a talk on a specific theme for each open-air preaching session, or is the theme always a variation on the basic evangelist, evangelistic message? First, God's wrath and judgment on man's depravity, and secondly, the good news of Jesus' teaching and sacrificial death. Well, that, that's a standard good message, but obviously there are times when you need to um, recognize what is uppermost in people's minds. So, for example, in the World Cup Soccer 2010, we were often using sports-related anecdotes to get people's attention and which teams had won and, and how the, the team uh, yesterday did. And and so you're starting with what people understand and uh, uh, dealing with it, with playing according to the rules and, and getting the goal and what happens when there's a foul and when you sent off the field or when you're not playing according to the rules or you have score an own goal. And uh, so sometimes uh, whatever the, the issue may be, you are tackling that uh, we've been at gay pride marches and uh, pointing out gay pride is what got Sodom fried. Pride comes before a fall and, you know, you, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, I mean, we're using, they are coming in with pride and we, the middle letter of pride is I. The middle letter of lie is I. The middle letter of sin is I. Our problem is ourselves. We are our own worst enemies. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> you 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 can tackle what the issue is and adapt it. So I do think that while uh, we can have a specific theme planned for the day, and maybe we've got a whole series of different messages, you know, I want to preach on the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. Uh, but you get there and you find, well, I need to redirect to this or that issue because of what's in the news at that time or what's uppermost in people's minds or what the event is. I mean, if I'm outside a football match, well, um, I better be saying things that are getting people's attention. And we actually had a track that showed who had won at all the different World Cups and who had won multiple and you know, the team expectations for this time. And, and then what the Bible says about uh, f physical uh, exercise and how we harden our bodies and ought to uh, press towards the prize and uh, the high calling in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we, we were able to communicate the unchanging gospel, but in a way that was relevant to the people at that time. Dr. Hammond, what resources does Frontline Fellowship offer to equip and empower evangelists? Well, I think first and foremost, we've got to know the whole Bible. So our Old Testament survey and our New Testament survey, which goes through every book in the Bible, that is the best that you can start with. We've got our Putting Feet to Your Faith. We've got the Biblical Principles for Africa books. These, these are helpful. I think when a person gets to know the Bible and then the Discipleship Handbooks, these can help. Discipleship Training Manual is also very helpful. But probably uh, the single most practical is Biblical Preaching Handbook, just helping people who are not used to Biblical preaching and how to be effective in, in communicating what's in the Scriptures. And that's got quite a few good anecdotes and insights and principles for public speaking. So if somebody will go onto our www.frontlinemissionsa.org website, frontlinemissionsa.org, uh, SA short for South Africa, so frontlinemissionsa.org, uh, or you can email us mission at frontline.org.za. Find out more about 
the book's available, newsletters, get on our emailing list. And if you go onto our audio and video pages, you can see quite a lot of where we have the, either been giving presentations at the Great Commission course or um, audios uh, on uh, different aspects that you will find useful. And I think these, these could really encourage you. But probably one of the best resources of all is Go Stand Speak, which is a, a comprehensive several-hour program dealing with the very issue of open-air public proclamation of the gospel. And uh, so try and fa- find Go Stand Speak. It would be a great one to show at your church or to view, and uh, uh, you will find that will help you. Otherwise, contact us at mission at frontline.org.za. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for your fascinating insights and experiences about uh, open-air preaching. I'd like to close with uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates, at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.